Hi, I'm Olivia. And I'm Amy. And this is the Girls in Marketing podcast. Every week, we release a new episode that you won't want to miss. Our guests are industry experts with amazing experiences, so you'll always come away with new nuggets of wisdom. From educational and inspiring episodes covering the latest in digital marketing, to casual and fun chats with the Girls in Marketing team, unpacking marketing myths and trends, we've got it all. Here at Girls in Marketing, we're all about empowering and supporting women to be the best marketers they can be through our online learning platform and community. Check out our resources and membership to get involved as we'd love to welcome you to our inner circle. Right, let's dive into an episode together. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Girls in Marketing podcast. I'm super excited to be joined by Fadzi Niyama today. Fadzi is the founder of Handled. She's a marketing consultant and agency founder who is passionate about teaching brands and content creators how to use social media to build community and form partnerships that make sense. Handled Agency is on a mission to bridge the gap between brands and influencers, helping brands to identify the right talent to work with and teaching creators how to build real influence. This episode is going to be packed full of influencer marketing, brand partnerships and social media insights. So let's get into it. So lovely to have you with us in the studio today, Fadzi. Thanks for having me. I want to get started and it, I want you to tell people a bit about your story because obviously you're now in influencer partnerships, brand partnerships, social media. How did you get to where you are today? Okay, so I got into influencer marketing, um, I would say probably about a year into my marketing career. Um, so I was working as a freelancer with various brands and it was at the time during COVID really where people were like starting to show more of an interest in influencer um, marketing. Um, and so I ran a few influencer campaigns for these freelance clients and then um, that's pretty much where it started. And I knew that I wanted to be self-employed and, you know, turn it into something bigger. So went from being a freelancer to now an agency and like still providing the same, like same service. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think influencer marketing has almost kind of skyrocketed in the last few years, hasn't it really? Yeah. I imagine that you've kind of seen that change quite a lot. I definitely have from a consumer and a professional perspective as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it was just last year where they said influencer marketing's like worth, um, let me not misquote some billions yeah, yeah. <laughs> like 15 billion or something like that and the the budget that's going towards influencer marketing is just increasing it's getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and as much as people are saying um you know we're in a recession and all of these things it doesn't really seem to be affecting influencer marketing that much because brands are like willing to spend yeah it's so interesting you kind of went from you know, freelancing to starting handled as an agency. Mm. What was your kind of reasoning for that transition? Because sometimes people just stay freelance and they just do freelance forever and like that kind of suits them. What made you go from just being yourself to having it as an agency? So... I used to have this whole like, I can do everything by myself type attitude. Like um, if I need to learn how to video edit, I'm like, I can spend a few hours on YouTube and learn how to do that. I can learn how to do email marketing and everything. And I think it just got to a stage where I was like, okay, I've learned all these different skills. Cause even when I started freelancing, I was offering so many different marketing services, email marketing, ads, influence marketing, everything. And I was pretty much a one man band. And like, I think a lot of marketers, we joke about these things like, oh yeah, I'm the editor, I'm the, um, I'm the talent, I'm everything. 
But I think for me, the turning point was realizing that I wanted this to be bigger than just me because there's only so much that you can handle as like a one man band. And I think the fact that I wanted it to be bigger than me is why I then turned it into an agency because now I get help. I've got, you know, team members on board that can take on like other aspects and we can actually grow the business and, you know, have a bigger impact. Yeah. I definitely think there's some sort of ceiling sometimes with just being on your own. A lot of people talk about, you know, if you want to stay freelance, up your prices and like that'll work. But I, I definitely agree. Sometimes, you know, you have all of these skills, but actually you want to outsource it to other people. You want to get people on board from a team. You know, that was definitely something I went through with Girls in Marketing as well. At the very mm -hmm. beginning, it was just me and a few volunteers, a few contributors. And then I was kind of like, at one, I, I feel quite lonely. Like I want to build this yes, with a team. Lonely. Exactly. And then <laughs> yeah. the other thing was obviously, as you said, like, actually outsourcing it to other people who can get even better than you because they can put the time into learning skills that whilst you're trying everything mm -hmm. they can you know really focus on okay you know social media or you know different elements of marketing whereas sometimes it's good to be you know the overseer the business owner mm. the you know CEO big title but you know that yeah. sort of thing and I think that as a freelancer that's something that you don't get but when you obviously start an agency and you have team on boards it becomes more of a thing absolutely and time as well mm -hmm. I think I just started to realize that time is so precious like all those hours of me learning video editing I could just outsource that to someone else and like work on a different part of the business and um because I started my team during a time where everything was like in lockdown, we were working remotely. And one of the first team members was based in Canada. So we've got a time difference. And one of the good things about the time difference is like when I'm going to bed, you know, she could pick the task up and then I can look at it in the morning. So it was just like. Interesting. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, that sounds yeah. too good. I mean, I've never really worked with a uh, a team member that's been in a different country or a different side of the world so that's really mm -hmm. interesting how do you find that like in regards to I know obviously you're saying there's like good elements but is there things that you would change like you know what's the kind of situation with that yeah I think in every situation there's like good and bad right mm -hmm. so I think with working with people in a different country the downside is in cases of emergency they can't pick things up just like that so with Canada I think we've got like a, a five hour time difference okay. so it's it's a little bit um difficult or even like being able to align on certain times like let's say we've got a client that wants to meet in the morning UK time they wouldn't be able to make it because it would just be like ridiculous for them um so I think in in times where you need something dealt with in real time that's where it's difficult but besides that I think everything else is like like yeah not an issue really yeah yeah so going into handle then obviously you guys offer like a range of different services um and particularly you are focusing on kind of influencer brand partnerships tell me a little bit about you know how you do that like how you actually manage those campaigns and how you manage handled and everything yeah, so question. Um, <laughs> I know I have to think about it. So with Handled, again, similar, similar to what I said about how when I started freelancing, 
I was offering everything. And when I built out the team, I was still offering like everything and we were offering everything as an agency. But it's only last year when we realized actually this isn't sustainable. And if we want to grow, it's better to be known as an agency that, you know, hones in on like a particular area of marketing. So the area of marketing that we've decided to hone in on is brand partnerships. Um, so that's pretty much like the influencer campaigns, um, influencer marketing, and now also talent management. Um, yeah. I think because obviously we were speaking before about it being like a massively growing industry. I think it's quite a unique advantage to really take hold of that, like influencer brand partnerships, all of that sort of thing. I speak to so many people in our community who want to, you know, start influencer campaigns as a marketer. We mm -hmm. also have people who are like budding content creators, especially with the rise of like user generated content that's massive at the moment. Yeah. Um, so I really want to dive into both from an influencer side and also from a brand like agency side as well. Um, so let's, let's kind of go into the influencer side because I think that's something that a lot of people don't really know much about. If you're not an influencer, you probably don't know about, you know, how influencers are treated, what kind of happens. And as a marketer and as someone who's interested in working maybe in influence marketing or working with influencers, mm -hmm. I think it's so important to kind of become... Um, become like understand the world of influencers and kind of the things that happen and the barriers that they face mm. so that kind of leads me to my first question really is like common challenges for influencers when they work with brands what yeah. from your experience have you seen by doing this talent management working with influencers what are some of the common challenges okay so with influencers they they do have a lot of challenges as you've mentioned I think um, just the, off the top of my head, the first challenge is, um, I guess, in the pitching process, not really knowing how to pitch themselves for campaigns. Um, a lot of them, obviously, it's easy if brands are the ones reaching out to you, like you can just respond. But when it comes to reaching out, um, that's a struggle that a lot of influencers have. Um, the second struggle is within that pitching process um, and communicating with brands. Um, there's a lot of ghosting that happens in the influencer industry. So um, influencers will have conversations with brands and it will get to the point where you think, oh, yes, I've like secured this campaign. And then the brand just disappears. And this happens for whatever reason, but it's something that a lot of them deal with. And it's like quite, quite a difficult thing to deal with. And then I think the last thing that's top of mind is pay. Um, a lot of influencers struggle with deciding how much to charge for campaigns um, and also just being um, lowballed by brands um, because of not knowing like things like what to charge and what not to charge. And then I guess a, a bonus one is contracts as well. Influencers get tied into really, really bad contracts just because they don't know certain like terminology that means like you're basically screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Giving away all of your rights and everything like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because I think I, from a, a brand perspective with Girls in Marketing, we do a lot of partnership stuff. So we yeah. don't really work in like an influencer capacity, but more in like content creation. And we work with like some really cool brands. And I've definitely experienced even just from that, the idea of like ghosting, of, mm. of talking to brands. You know, I've spoken to some really amazing huge household name brands that you know we've had multiple conversations with and then they really want to work with us on something and then all of a sudden as you said nothing. total ghost yes nothing yeah. goes off the face of the earth and you're like 
what what's happened and I think if that was you know if I was an influencer or if that was an influencer campaign you'd you'd be gutted because that could potentially be you know this month's rent or you know this month's uh, car payment or anything like that what sort of influencers with handled then do you actually work with is it people who are full-time is it people who are you know smaller influencers or is it like a mix yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Mm. Um, we have one person who's full-time and the other um, talent that we represent are part-time. So they okay. either have like full-time jobs or they have like business ventures that they're working on. So I think for the influencers that are full-time, it really is like, um, what do you call it? It's just... It's hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's really difficult for them because they're relying on it. And especially um, when it comes to like payments, late payments as well. Like imagine everyone has bills to pay. So Mm -hmm. if a brand is telling you like the payment terms are 30 days and then they delay the payment or payments are 60, 90 days, like I've heard of like really bad um, payment terms from brands. I think that stuff really messes up those full-time influencers who are actually like relying on this like income as like Mm -hmm. their livelihood. Yeah. So just from the perspective of influencers then, typically when they are getting because obviously you have like gifted and and we'll talk a little bit about that and and how you can kind of work with influencers on a gifted basis but you also have like page campaigns or Mm. you know mixture of of a few how like what do you think from your perspective is like I don't know if it's preference by like influencers obviously I feel like naturally it would be things that are paid obviously yeah but like (laughs) what do you what would you say influencers prefer when it comes to brands would it just Mm. be like paid stuff or because I think for me it's very much about like alignment of of the brand so making sure that the brand is aligned with our mission our values our goals and I assume that it would be like that for a lot of influencers yeah so um in terms of whether the preference is gifted or paid we all love money so Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think a lot of people would pick paid But you'd be surprised. I think a lot of the new influencers and micro influencers, they love um, getting gifted campaigns. Um, And I think especially if they're people who are very new to the industry and you're someone who's watched your favorite celebrities and your favorite influencers, um, you often see that they have like a highlight on Instagram that says PR and they get all these packages. And so for someone who's new to the industry, that's exciting. Like you're getting like multiple 10, 20 deliveries a week from brands that you love. So it's exciting to begin with, but as those influencers grow and get bigger and get more recognition, that's when they're like, wait a minute, like I'm accepting all this free stuff and, you know, promoting all these brands. Some of them are selling out from the content that I'm posting, but I'm not really getting anything in return. And that's when I think the light bulb, you know, goes and then people are like, you need to pay me. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, in general, when you're starting out, of course, it's fun to like get all these like free things or events are really fun. Like, um, especially when you're trying to build that profile for yourself as an influencer. You want to be at the latest events. You want to be at the launches. You want to be on the press trips even. Um, But I think for the more seasoned influencer, they're the ones that will be like, just give me my money. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well, it's about finding the balance, isn't it? As you said, it's not always just about like, oh yeah, like 
how much money I can I get from this campaign? Yeah. I think it would definitely be, okay, what is the scope? Like how big is the brand? Because I think obviously smaller brands maybe can't really afford to just, mm. you know, throw money at a campaign, whereas maybe a bigger brand could, that yeah. sort of thing. On the topic of pay then, obviously previously we've spoken about the influencer pay gap and that's something that is, you know, huge in so many different aspects. Mm -hmm. Can you give me a bit of an idea on like the influencer pay gap? I'm going to test you on it now. <laughs> um, and yeah, just kind of like why it, I, I don't know, like why it exists in the industry and, yeah. and kind of your experience of it from a brand representing influencers. So what the influencer pay gap is mm -hmm. and why it exists. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, the influencer pay gap is essentially a disparity in the amount that influencers are paid. So you could be two influencers with the exact like amount of followers or with a similar level of influence um, and you get paid completely different amounts. So someone can get paid something in the hundreds and someone can get paid something in the thousands. Um, and it exists whether, I guess, the, the common factors that affect it are things like, I think the influencer pay gap um, exists between genders, between age, between races, um, and even like countries you know that you're in and I think the main reason is just because of a lack of transparency in the industry so there's lack of transparency um in terms of like influencers not knowing how much they should be charging but even on the brand and agency side there's so much confusion like you can speak to three different agencies and they'll have three different ways of charging they'll have three different ways of um deciding how much to pay influencers so there's no set standard rule like okay if someone has 50k followers you pay them this much and I think that's where the problem lies because it's it's essentially like everyone's just dreaming up numbers in their head and then the best negotiator wins mm. I think it's it's similar to like salaries really isn't it and lack of again like kind of pay gaps within salaries yeah. lack of transparency and lack of communication I know there are a lot of people out there that kind of do talk about the influence of pay gap you know salary gap everything like that and I think it's so important because I think having that knowledge um and you you speak about like knowledge sharing and, and mm. making sure that everybody is aware of you know this is how much you should be charging or how how you should approach these influencer deals because you know every brand is not going to have the same budget as yeah. you know every other brand and sometimes I think it's about understanding the scope of the project and kind of saying actually you know I can charge less for this or maybe I should charge more for this and it's that knowledge piece I think that's really important. Exactly and I think that's what makes it a little bit harder as well because each campaign is so different and brands are also very different. Like some have very little budget, some have loads of budget. So that's that's what makes the whole thing even harder because there is no standard. There's no like, mm. okay, you should just charge this if a brand asks for this because there's just so many different factors yeah. that fall into it. Yeah, and I think as well with the, there's so many like huge influencers, isn't there? Um, mm -hmm. If you think of the likes of Molly May and I mean, I can't even think, but I was just thinking Molly May, to be honest, like yeah. these massive influencers who kind of almost like set the tone for brands and people think, I speak to so many people in our community that are like, oh, my boss really wants to do an influencer campaign and they want like Molly May to be the face of this influencer. <laughs> and it's like some tiny, 
really like B2B brand that yeah. just like would never need Molly May or something like that. <laughs> and I think that from from a like an employer and a, like a boss or someone who you know wants to do these things mm-hmm. they can come across to someone who's maybe more junior as quite like out of the loop because they see these huge like macro influencers who have yeah. millions of followers and they're like oh yeah we want to we want to work with them or we want to be like them yeah and then it's kind of like how do you like manage those expectations because not every influencer campaign is gonna I don't know. Yeah, you're not gonna always get Molly May on your company, yeah. are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not always gonna get Molly May, but you're not always. Um, she she might not. I think an influencer like Molly May might not even be the best fit for your brand, as right. you're saying, right? Yeah. So I think it's about um, finding alignment. So when you are scouting for influencers, just make sure that. Um, you're you're looking you're vetting influencers so vet them for the values you know that you know they have are you aligned in terms of like what you believe in if you're like this eco-friendly brand like don't go for someone who's like the complete opposite um and also don't go for someone purely because of numbers um some people lie about their numbers people buy followers and even if those numbers are legit that influencer may not have the skill set that you require for that campaign so if you require I don't know like um an influencer that's like proper like outgoing and um entertaining or somebody who's funny and then you pick somebody who's just popular and just knows how to like take pictures with really good angles like it's not gonna you know match the goal of the campaign so it's really about approaching influencer with the goal of the campaign in mind and making sure you're vetting them to ensure that they actually fit that goal Mm -hmm. um, in order for your campaign to be a success yeah I think that's so interesting because I am seeing a TikTok recently where it was someone who does like a lot of influence marketing stuff and they Mm -hmm. said rather than looking at the latest posts of an influencer so if you want to do an influencer campaign you're obviously going to go and look at the influencer's social media media across whatever rather than just looking at it look at the previous ad campaigns like look Mm. at the previous influencer campaigns that they've taken part in because the way a creator or an influencer creates content for themselves that's not an ad may be completely different to how they create ads yeah it's interesting exactly I think but I wouldn't always blame the okay no no one's blaming anyone right but I wouldn't always um say that it's it's down to how the influencer creates ads because sometimes influencers receive these like really rigid briefs from brands. Yeah. So we've had cases where brands have given us like, okay, this is the script that the influencer has to say um, almost word for word. And it just sounds really robotic and Mm -hmm. it might be completely different to the influencer's personality and their audience can tell that, you know, it's, it's just a, like a script really um, and it's not authentic so I think sometimes it's on both ends with agencies and brands I think we need to ensure that we're offering a bit of flexibility and if you're going for that influencer who's very out there and maybe like it's someone who swears or whatever like don't expect them to like then conform into this like timid influencer Mm -hmm. who's like what you want the campaign to represent Um, and then I think on the influencer side as well Um, I think it's just about being authentic. Um, TikTok has this saying like make TikToks not ads and I think it's so spot on because 
people go on TikTok to be entertained. People go on TikTok for lighthearted content and you don't want to be sold to on TikTok. But since brands are selling to people on TikTok, you might as well do it in a way that just looks like a regular TikTok or just looks like your regular um, content that's not sponsored. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting because I think that's definitely on the rise, isn't it? Like that kind of authentic. And I definitely think TikTok's played a part in it 100%. Yeah. I think for so long social media has just become a, a full like pool of perfect images and perfect people and all that sort of thing and TikTok yeah. came along and kind of like just shredded that narrative to pieces didn't it really exactly. and I think influencers have loved that because they can be more authentic and more yeah, real you can be yourself mm. yeah yeah. And like on TikTok, um, I've seen loads of bios where people are like, if you know me in real life, you don't. Because <laughs> they see their TikTok as like posting on your close friends or like on your private story. Yeah. But it's like, it's a public platform, but some of the users on there feel like they're just posting to their friends. Yeah. And that's why it's like so natural and it, it feels like real yeah. whereas like other platforms are a little bit more polished and you know you have to look a certain way you have to edit your photos in a certain way for you know for it to seem acceptable for that platform but I think TikTok just really allows a lot of people to feel free and to be themselves mm -hmm. so on the brand side of things then from so a lot of people in our community want to you know run a influencer campaign or anything like that mm -hmm. from your experience how do you like measure a successful influence campaign or measure just a, a campaign in general because I think it's so difficult to put it down to the numbers isn't it and sometimes you know working with brands it's all about how many link clicks can we get or how many people can we get to use this code or anything like that how do you actually measure success yeah, I think um, in order for us to be able to measure success, we need to define what success is going to look like. I love that. Yeah. And we need to do that at the beginning of the campaign. Um, so if at the beginning of the campaign, you know that, okay, this is just a brand awareness campaign. We want to get as many eyes on this as possible. You then also are able to... Um, Share that with influencers and make sure, you know, you've really honed in that the key message is to get as many eyes on this as possible. And that will help the influencer to also um, be able to get you the results that you want. But if your campaign goal is conversions and you want to get more sales, then it's important for you to define that and quantify that as well. Like, okay, do you want to get a few hundred or do you want to get a few thousand? Um, and then you can also communicate that to whoever you've partnered with. And if both sides are like really clear on what the goal is, it's much, much easier to achieve it. Um, and then it's also much easier for brands to align with the right, you know, content creators in order to achieve the goal because mm -hmm. you're clear right at the start, like what it is. And then I think it's it's important to monitor it throughout the campaign um, and ensure that, you know, it's going down the right path. And if it's not, don't be afraid to change things mid-campaign. So if you've already shot like, I don't know, four videos, but you you realize by video two or three that it's not working, you can pull the plug and try a different angle. Like that's completely fine. Um, so yeah, mon mon define it at the start, monitor it in the middle, and then at the end also, um, you know, look at the overall campaign and see if you have hit those metrics. Um, but you also mentioned that sometimes it's not metrics that we're looking at. Um, and there are other campaigns where it's difficult to quantify um, 
metrics, let's say a billboard, it's really difficult to be like, okay, how many eyes, you know, people did that bill billboard actually get? Um, and so I think for those sorts of campaigns, you just have to be a little bit more clever about how you um, get qualitative data from them. Mm -hmm. I love the kind of objective setting because I think so many brands and so many campaigns in general, marketing campaigns, not even influencer campaigns, people forget to set objectives. And it's yeah. about as well, those objectives being realistic. Mm. So whilst as a brand, okay, yes, we want X amount of clicks or X amount of people using this discount or anything. It's also about, okay, and as a brand or as a, like an influencer, like that communication piece and saying, I don't yeah. really think that that's realistic or, you know, we don't think that that's going to work for us or, you know, maybe we should think about this objective instead because it's not always as easy as, oh yeah, we want a hundred click link clicks on this yeah. and that's that as well. So it's, it's about being realistic, isn't it? Definitely. And we've had a situation like that where mm -hmm. a brand approached us and they were like, oh, we want to work with this influencer and we want to get this amount of sales um, right off the bat. And it was a very new brand. Like um, this is a launch campaign. Um, and with launches, it's difficult to get sales right off the bat because what you want to aim for is brand awareness. But they were very adamant that, you know, influencers should be able to like sell. Um, and so, you know, it's the whole thing of like brands hearing that these superstar influencers have sold out a particular brand and they're like, we want to do that. Mm -hmm. But it's not always realistic. So I love that you mentioned yeah. that. And I think it's about from a, a brand perspective. I know you mentioned before about like aligning with kind of yeah. image and values. And I, I so think that that's more like realistic than just going for someone who's massive, as you said. Mm. There's no point in going for someone that has, you know, even like a hundred thousand followers or something over someone with five thousand if the yeah. person with five thousand has so much value to give and has an active engaged audience that loves this stuff exactly I, I think it's crazy the way brands like really focus on on like huge influencers because I mean they just shouldn't yeah exactly and I, I think the micro influencers are really where the magic is mm -hmm. because they're much smaller everyone's rooting for them to win and there's this like weird thing as well where people root for you to win until you're actually big and then they're like oh actually we don't like you anymore mm -hmm. and so I think I find a lot of bigger influencers struggle to retain their audiences or audience trust because as they get bigger people are like well she's not genuine anymore or he's not genuine anymore um, but when you're much smaller people feel not obliged but they're much much happier to like support you so I think micro influencers do have that advantage where they have the audience trust they haven't done too many partnerships so people can actually trust what they're saying mm -hmm. um so yeah there's definitely pros and cons to both yeah what's your kind of thoughts on like long-term partnerships from like a brand and influencer like side because I always think they they for me have a lot of value because one-off campaigns may not work necessarily yeah what are your kind of thoughts on like kind of more long-term stuff um I think long-term is the way to go mm -hmm. um only because you're only able to build authentic relationships long-term like good relationships take time um to really develop that trust and so I think when you work long term with a influencer with an influencer um their audience is able to um start again I think 
long-term partnerships are better for me personally because um, it allows the influencer to establish trust with their audience. So the more that influencer mentions the brand, the more their audience associates them with that brand. And when it comes to campaigns, they're more likely to engage with whatever that campaign is because they've you know, seen you mentioned so many times. There's an influencer that I always, always name, name drop, Melissa's Wardrobe. She's incredible. And she's done partnerships with Ren and um, a few other brands, Penhaligons, great brands and because she mentions Ren skincare so much in her content and we always see her use it it's not it's not weird to see her do a campaign in fact like her followers and her supporters are like happy to see that because they're like okay she's finally being recognized for a brand that she genuinely loves and because she's genuine with her reviews we can trust this brand and we're going to go out and buy it and same thing with I saw um I don't know her name but there's another influencer well, I don't know if she's an influencer, but she's um, someone on TikTok who blew up because she posted a video um, that was completely unrelated to Fenty, but she was using this Fenty lip gloss, which was like a, a chocolate lip gloss or whatever. And so all the comments were asking her like about the lip gloss, like forget, forget the story time you're giving us. What's this lip gloss? And so she then just started posting like all these like Fenty reviews. And because her audience keeps seeing her post about Fenty without any ads or sponsorship, they can trust that she genuinely likes Fenty. And so eventually when Fenty recognized her and started sending her PR products or working with her, maybe on a paid basis, we don't know, um, that's a much more authentic partnership and people can get behind that because mm -hmm. they're like, okay, we saw this start right from the beginning where you weren't getting paid for this. And now it's developed into something that we can actually jump on and like, you know, root yeah. for you. Yeah, I think that kind of happens as well with gifted stuff, doesn't it? It's like yeah. they gifted something and then they say, I've never heard of this brand before. I absolutely love it, yeah. you know, and then maybe in future go on to do a, a paid campaign or something like that. Yeah. I, I love that you know, brands are recognizing people when, you know, they, they want to get on that kind of train and, and that mm. story about Fenty is so interesting because there's so much value in that partnership. Yeah. And what I think all of the time is one-off campaigns don't always work because your audience don't always see that one post. So yeah. if you think, if you're an influencer yeah. and you post, like, let's say that Fenty, like a Fenty ads, for example, and yeah. it's like you using this lip gloss, let's say you get like, you know, even a good few thousand likes on it, but you, maybe you've got like a million followers or something ridiculous. Yeah. Not all of those million people have seen it. See it. So exactly. the, the more long term is the more exposure that that brand gets to your audience. And I also think from an influencer perspective, mm -hmm. it's a lot more reliable because then you think, okay, I'm working with this brand for the next three months, six months, whatever. Mm. And, you know, I can create content for them. I can really get invested in the brand, what they're about. I can learn yeah. more about them. And I think that's so much nicer than just sitting back and creating one piece of content, throwing it out to your audience and then yeah. going, where's my money? You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's a steady income as mm -hmm. well, because if you secure a three, six month partnership, you know that you're pretty much set. Mm -hmm. And whatever, you know, brand campaigns you pitch for afterwards it's just like a bonus yeah. you know because you've got that guaranteed income so yeah I definitely would lean towards longer term partnerships and I think the other thing as well about doing one-off brand campaigns is it just comes off as um 
like inauthentic sometimes because it's like okay you've you've worked with skincare brand a you've forgotten about it now you're on to skincare brand b c d mm-hmm. and so forth and so when your audience is, is seeing this as well they're like okay you've you know you've promoted five different brands to us this month which one is it mm-hmm. and i think people are starting to get fed up of like multiple promotions of different brands um as we saw with the de-influencing um mm-hmm. trend on tiktok yeah yeah. What do you think then? I mean, speaking about the influencing, what do you think's happened like from a, a landscape perspective with influencer marketing over the last few years? You know, obviously you said you kind of started freelancing, you know, back in the pandemic. And yeah. what kind of changes have you seen over the last few years? Um so, so are we starting with de influencing? You can if you want. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Um what changes? Um the de-influencing one, I, I get it, but I have mixed feelings about it personally because mm-hmm. I I think the de-influencing trend was also, um, well, majority of the videos that I saw de-influencing were also influencing people to do something instead. Mm-hmm. So I think that one didn't, didn't do so well. I think brands are um, becoming more clued on about influencer marketing. Um, So I've seen a change from like really rigid campaigns where they want things professionally shot, maybe in a studio or whatever, to brands literally putting on the brief, shoot this on an iPhone. Mm -hmm. So it's just such an interesting change to me and also changes like from um, shooting campaigns landscape to vertical. um, That's been one of the major changes that I've seen recently. Um, And I think brands are also becoming clued up about their audiences, especially those that are targeting Gen Z, for example. Um, They're hiring talent within those agencies that are aware of like, you know, upcoming trends and um, things that the Gen Z audience would, you know, like to see or would be interested in. So I think brands are really um, changing from their like rigid ways and becoming more modern, I would Mm -hmm. say. Um, And I would also say like, really big brands that we wouldn't expect to be on social media are popping up on social media now. Like big corporates are joining social media, especially TikTok. I'll mention TikTok all the time. Mm -hmm. Like I love TikTok, but corporates are joining TikTok because they know that there's this young audience on there that they want to attract. So there's definitely positive changes, I Mm -hmm. would say. Another change is working with micro-influencers. So I know we mentioned earlier that brands always want to work with like the influencers with 100k plus followers, but actually there is um, a move to more brands working with micro-influencers. There's a jewelry brand that I love that does a lot of work with micro-influencers. There's an amazing skincare brand. I think it's Canadian or US-based called Topicals. They do a lot of work with micro-influencers as well. I think even brands like Glossier, they they mix it up. Mm -hmm. So um, sometimes they work with the really well-known celebrities and top influencers. And other times they work with emerging influencers as well. So I think that's another change, a positive change. Um, I love the way there's a lot of brands like fitness led brands that are going to like micro influencers mm. and I love I know we were talking before about long-term partnerships I love it when um, brands have like kind of ambassador schemes like Gymshark has an ambassador scheme mm-hmm. and I think that's so cool like the fact of the matter is obviously they're not necessarily just doing one campaign they have these people who like they always work with and I think that's quite cool it, it kind of leans into that 
long term but they have athletes like Gymshock athletes who are like bigger and then they work with like some smaller ones and I know like lounge you know the underwear brand I think Mm, they have like influencers they work with all the time and they work a lot with like smaller influencers like gifted and stuff which is quite cool as well yeah Mm. and I I think um ambassadors are really good for brands to have as well because Mm -hmm. the more people associate um certain influencers with your brand it's like whenever you see that person walking down the street you know that they represent Nike or they mm-hmm. represent, why do I say Nike? They represent <laughs> Nike. Mm-hmm. That's um, the question. Is it Nike or Nike? I say this on I the know. podcast all the time. And I say, I can't remember what I say now. I say Nike. What do yeah. you say, Nike? I said Nike. I, yeah. I speak to a lot of Americans. <laughs> Fair enough, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but I want to ask you about um, kind of successful campaigns that you've seen. Um, I know we've spoken about kind of what makes a successful campaign and a, a few brands, but mm-hmm. have you seen anything recently or even, you know, worked on any campaigns that you think have been like particularly successful? Okay, so one brand that comes into mind, it's a skincare brand. And I think they collaborated with a PR agency in London And so when they launched, they did so many different activations. They had cars, branded cars riding through London. They had a pop-up where um, you can sign up to get free facials. And I think it was so cool that they had so many in-person activations because I think for the past, like, well, the two years that we were in lockdown pretty much, all the campaigns had to be virtual. So it was quite nice to see these, like, in real life campaigns where Mm -hmm. people can actually go into a store, get a free facial, and then, you know, they can upsell you um, on the marketing side of things to, you know, book on to get a longer facial that you you actually pay for. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I've been loving the fact that we're having more activations that are Mm -hmm. in-person. Jacques Mousse did like a few um, in-person activations as well where they had, um, I think it was cars, that were like made out of the, ba- I don't know if it was cars or carts or whatever, but they made it out of their iconic Jacquemus bags and they were driving through London as well. So I think mm-hmm. things like that, where brands are starting to think outside of the box and do more things in person mm-hmm. um, work really well. Cause there's just this like real drive for people to be outside now. Yeah. Um, so I'm seeing a lot more success with activations that are actually in person activations that are actually in person mm-hmm. compared to the digital ones yeah I think before I mean it's, it's been a super interesting conversation today um before we finish I'd love to get your take on like how to stay updated with like influence marketing influence marketing trends because I know we've spoken about it today and I think it's such a change in industry so is there any kind of places that you go to for like I don't know, new trends or new places to find out information that you can head people towards? Yeah, um, I would say social media. Mm -hmm. Just be plugged into social media, especially for influencer campaigns. Um, That's where everything is happening. That's where consumers, you know, for, for brands that cater to consumers, that's where your consumers spend a lot of their time. So just doing a lot of social listening I think it's called social listening mm-hmm. um, and seeing what your potential audience or your ideal customers are saying online um, that's where you can find a lot of um, the latest trends or even spots upcoming trends um, and then probably industry events there's a lot of industry events like virtually and also in person going to these events you can see sort of like trend forecasts for like the the next five years or whatever um, 
and things like that help. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing I would say as well is for marketers to look outside your industry. So if you work in um, beauty or fashion, maybe look into tech and see what's happening in tech um, because sometimes those trends do cross over or you can get new ideas from an industry that's like completely different to your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming in today. I've absolutely loved this conversation. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Girls in Marketing podcast. We love hearing from you. So if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review to let us know your thoughts and make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button to be the first to hear when our new episodes release. Don't forget, if you want to get involved with Girls in Marketing, check out our membership to join our incredible community of marketers. Think marketing resources, courses, webinars, and more. Find out more on our website or drop us a message on any of our social channels at Girls in Marketing. <laughs>